thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Wow. We ought to just give the invitation after Paxson's done and be finished for the day, right? That's good stuff. Praise the Lord. I appreciate the opportunity to share the word today. It's funny, our pastor's been under the weather with his voice and cough, and you can tell I got a little something that I woke up to this morning. So we'll, uh, we'll do our best to uh, work through the Word. If you have your Bibles, open them, to, um, uh, open them to the book of John, chapter 4. The book of John, chapter 4. And if you have something to write with, I hope you'll take notes uh, on the back of the worship brochure that we gave you when you came in. <clears throat> Bear with me, I may be fooling with this thing on my side a little bit today. Uh, Jeff didn't order the one that works with love handles. Yeah, so he... Uh, you know, he's sort of straight from the sides and the front, and I tend to have issues with a straight up and down uh, microphone. I don't know if you're ready for the new year. This is going to be a new year a sermon necessarily. Uh, I don't know if you're ready for the new year in your business or in your, in your marriage or with your children, with your finances, uh, what's going on at church. I can tell you we're ready at church, and the pastor's going to, he's going to build a case for what God's going to do this this year and the coming Sundays here for us. But I heard uh, several years ago, I read a book by a guy named Grant Cardone, and now I read everything that he publishes. And he said this, he said that the average Fortune 500 CEO reads 60 books a year to get better as men and women and in their business and in every area of their life. I was like, 60? That's a lot. I don't think I can shoot for 60, but I decided at that time to shoot for 12 and I never seem to make it. I always fall short. I'll end up with nine or ten books in a year to get better as a, as a, as a man, as a father, as a, as a husband, as a pastor, as a salesman in my business. And I read a book in the, uh, in the month of December by Adam Grant called Give and Take. Give and Take. Why, why helping others drives our success. It, it, we're not going to go into the book, but it, I think it's an important uh, launching pad for us this morning. It was a jump, jump into John chapter 4. Adam Grant says there, there are basically two categories of people, givers and takers, but he comes up with a third called matchers, givers and takers. Some of you know, you know the Mother Teresa type givers, right? You know about three of those people in your life probably, don't you? Uh, three of those people. You know old Tom, he would give you the shirt off his back. Actually, he would give you his skin and his teeth if you needed them. He's that kind of, he's that kind of a guy. Um, the, the matchers are, is a new, was a new category to me. You know the matcher types. Say three of you go out to eat and you split the check and it's like $9.37 a piece, right? And they want to break it down to the penny. But then one of them will be a matcher and they'll go, actually, I only ate one-fourth of the appetizer, so I need to break my $0.37 cents down some more. Um, in, in most marriage, there's, there's a giver and a taker, Right? There's a giver and a taker. Eventually, somebody figures out that they're doing all the giving, and they decide to become a matcher and try to equalize things, and it usually doesn't work out too well. You know about the taking part. How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? We're the givers, and our kids just take and take and take and take, and then they become teenagers, right? You know what Mark Twain said about teenagers, right? When they turn 13, put them in a barrel and feed them through a hole in the barrel, Right? And then when they turn 16, plug the hole? It, it, maybe not. In every church, there are givers and takers. Have you noticed? In every church, there are givers and takers. Now, this message today 
It's not about giving money and tithes and offerings. That's our senior pastor. That's our pastor. That's Pastor Jeff's role as God leads to, to guide us in that way. But in every church, there are givers and takers. There are spiritual consumers and spiritual contributors. And I want to launch out of a text in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 31. John 4, starting in verse 31. This is right after the Lord Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. 31 to 34. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Notice what Jesus says here. Very bizarre, but very powerful. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Look at verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They didn't understand it humanly. They never would. And at this point, they don't understand it spiritually. Verse 34, my food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. When everyone else is saying, fill me, fill me, fill me, what actually nourishes Jesus, he says, is filling others. When everybody else is selfish, by the way, that's, that comes natural, doesn't it? When everybody else is saying, I need, I need, I want, I want, Jesus says, when I pour my life into the lives of others, I do the work of God, and I finish the task that Jesus said that he was sent to do. Did you say that? To finish the Father's work. I have food that you know nothing about. What fills me is doing the work of God and ministering to others. What's, what's interesting to me is this. The disciples were concerned with consuming, and Jesus was concerned with contributing. Now think about this. The nature of Jesus runs contrary to everything in human lives and human relationships. The nature of who he is, of what he does, what he was about on this earth, and what he's about sitting at the right hand of the Father, it goes against, it's in direct opposition to the core of our sinful human nature and who we are. Some people will say, aren't all people basically good people? No. The Old Testament prophet, quoted even in the New Testament, says there is none righteous, not a single one. We are, by our nature, very self-centered and very selfish, which is the opposite of the nature of our Lord and Savior. Let me ask you, how many of you are currently parenting two-year-olds. Anybody raise your hand? Look around, church family. Look around, currently parenting two-year-olds. Let's just pause and lay hands on these <laughs> this morning. If you, if you completed your two-year-old, you know, Kinsley, she's such a wonderful 13-year-old girl. She got the terrible twos early, and so we thought she was advanced, but then she carried them through threes and fours. And uh, Have you ever had to stop and say to your two-year-old, today, we're going to have selfish lessons. I want you to sit down and crisscross applesauce your legs, and let's talk about how to say the word no. You never have to do that, do you? You, you never have to because it's at the core of who we are. Even our beautiful, lovely, God-given little two-year-olds, uh, we don't have to teach them how to be selfish, do we? It's, it's in our very nature. It's, it's how we were born into this sinful world. But when Jesus ministered to others, he said it actually 
nourished him. Do you think he was exaggerating? Or do you think he was really nourished when he ministered and when he served, when he healed and when he loved? Jesus said, I have a higher calling. It's more than just thinking about myself. I'm here to be a contributor. I'm here to be a giver. I'm here to pour into the lives of others. It's interesting for me to think about where this came from, where it came from. You remember McDonald's? Say it with me, two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun, right? If you ordered a Big Mac, that's what you got. If you didn't like the sauce, you had to scrape it off, right? Then Burger King came along. I mentioned this before. Burger King came along. What'd they say? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way, right? This idea of selfishness, of you getting to choose, of consumerism, of everything is about me and what I want to do, it it didn't just start in Burger King, but it was kind of obvious with the tune there. I was going to sing it today, but I tried it this morning and my voice cracked uh, like a 6th, 7th grade boy that just wouldn't quit, so... Suddenly you walk into modern life and you're in control of everything, aren't you? Summarized by the statement, the customer is always right. The customer is always right. And all of a sudden we've got this society where everything is about the customer. And if you don't, listen, I worked for Sam's the first summer after college selling memberships. And they told us it was the policy of Sam's and Walmart that if somebody bought something at another store and tried to bring it back there, they would still take it. Because the customer was always right. Everything is about me and my wants and my desires. I get to have it my way. But tragically, that mindset has settled into the church. Tragically, it's settled into the church and into Christians, into Christianity. You ever heard the phrase church shopping? Church shopping. We've looked everywhere for a church. We've visited like 50 churches And we just can't find one. We just can't seem to find a church that meets our needs. Does that sound like what Jesus said in John chapter 4? It's sort of its polar opposite, isn't it? Jesus says, I have foods you know nothing about. My food is to minister to fill others and to finish the Father's work. And we have, maybe you've even said it, we just haven't found a church yet that meets our needs. Here's the key thought for today. If you don't get anything else, get this. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. I hope you're writing it down. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. Why? Because the church doesn't exist for us. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost, not to make the righteous more comfortable. Not to give them something that they get pleasure out of. He said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. He just told us in this text in John 4 that that what fills me is filling others. I came to pour myself into others, into lost people, to draw them to the love of the Father. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. We exist as the church for the world. Now, some of you know, I don't know Spanish, but you, 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 you'll get this if I, even if I butcher it. Primera Iglesia Bautista, First Baptist Church, right? Is that pretty close? 
Iglesia, the Spanish word, really comes from, and is similar to, and is a transliteration of in the, in the Spanish, from the Greek word, ecclesia, that's translated church. But it doesn't mean church, it means called out ones. Called out ones. We are the called out ones of this community, not the called in ones. We're the called out ones. We don't exist to have great relationships, but we do, right? We don't exist for children's and preschool ministry of the saved in this place, but we have great preschool and children's ministries. We don't exist for our teenagers to have a positive social environment and a godly environment to learn the word so they can get together and have a great youth group, although we have that. We don't exist for great preaching and loving and, and, and worshiping and everything that happens here. That's not why we exist to bring everybody together. We exist to be like Jesus and to be the called out ones. We are not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors. Would you repeat after me? Would you say it out loud? Make it personal though. I am not a spiritual consumer. I am a spiritual contributor. Our food is something that people in the world don't understand though. If we're to be like Jesus in John chapter 4, people out there aren't going to understand it. And some folks inside this place won't understand it. If you would take a minute, either mentally or on a piece of paper there, on the back of that worship brochure, would you take a minute and rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10? Rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. Now, don't give yourself a 10 unless you've been to the cross of Calvary and died for the sins of humanity and were resurrected on the third day. Don't give yourself a 10. And don't give yourself a 1, okay? We'll reserve that for the devil, all right, over there. So let's say those are our two extremes. Where do you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 by way of consumer or contributor? Think about it for a second. Where do you fall? Write it down. Write your number down. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to read 12 books a year to get better, but if you don't shoot for 12, are you going to read 9 or 7 or 6 or 5? Where do you fall on that scale? It's self, self-rating. If you're not sure... If you're not sure where you fall on that and you're a man, just ask your wife. She'll, she'll tell you. She already has the number. She's got the number, okay? Just ask her and then write it down. If you circle to six or below, you're like me, and, 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 and this, this text is for us today. We're not where we need to be. Most of us are concerned if it's too hot or too cold or, you know, if they have donuts or they don't have donuts anymore or if the... If the coffee's hot or it's too hot or it's too cold. Or, and sometimes we can get in there and just get so, just, just so opposite of who Jesus is when we walk into this place. I want to give you two truths about using your gifts in God's church. Two true truths about using your gifts, your talents, your skills in God's church. The first is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are gifted and called to serve in his church. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are gifted and called to serve in this church. How many of you 100% consider this to be your church home? Raise your hand. Come on. This is your church home. Raise your hand. All of us in this room, the first truth is this, that raise our hands. We are called and gifted to serve in this church. God never intended for the church to be a building. You couldn't even own property as a church body until after Constantine in like 313 BC or 313 AD, he finally gave legal validation to church bodies being able to own, buy property, have a building, 
that was, quote, the church. What did they do for 270 years, 280 years? Did they not function as the body? God never intended for the church to be a building. We don't go to church. We are the church. The church is his people. Remember that? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. There's all the people. How many remember that? It used to be illegal before Constantine. We don't go to church. We are the church. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Turn over to the New Testament a little further into Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. This is a, a, a snapshot, a partial picture. It's not the complete picture. This is a partial picture of how God wants us to serve in the church. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul writes, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Listen, all of us that raised our hands in this room, you may not know what your spiritual gifts are. Can I tell you that our pastor and our staff, we can help you discover your spiritual gifts if you never have. We've got some lay people in our church that, even, that will sit down with you and help you assess spiritually and self-assess what your spiritual gift or gifts are to turn you loose in his church, gifted and called and serving in his church. Some of you say, Michael, I'm a little, I'm a little freaked about that serving. Jeff's out of town and you're out of town. I can't preach. That's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to discover your gift and then use it. Discover your spiritual gift and then use it. Let me say this. You cannot play it safe and please God. If God lays on your heart something to do in this church or you know what's coming next in this community and you don't do it because you, 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 you're scared, well, you just need to know you can't play it safe and please God. It's impossible let me say this too, if you want another one-liner. Never let the fear of failure talk you out of an act of faith. Never let the fear of failure talk you out of an act of faith. You say, well, pastor, what God's leading me to do, our church doesn't even have it as a ministry. We can. <laughs> let us know what God's got on your heart and what you're gifted to do, and we will, we will help turn you loose and launch you with the resources you need to be the man or woman that God has called you to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gifted and called to serve in his church. We don't go to church, we are the church. We're not spiritual consumers, we're spiritual contributors. God wants every follower of Jesus to be actively making a difference by serving in his church. The second truth is this. I see all those pens working feverishly. The second truth is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are gifted and called to serve as his church in the world. You're gifted and called to serve as his church in the world. Why do we come together at all if we're the called out ones? To get fueled up to go back out there. To get built up and edified in the faith. To grow in the word of God and in the presence of God and as the body of Christ so that we can go back out there and be gifted and called to serve as the church in the world. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
verses 14 through 16. These are pretty familiar. You know these. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gifted and called to serve as his church in the world. Matthew 5, starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I don't make any mistake here as we go through this. I'm not saying we are saved by good works. As Pastor Jeff says a lot throughout the year, we are saved for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. Since Jeff gave me the chance today, since I have a captive audience, let me be a little pushy. The last seven days, the last seven days, how many people would know by the way you live that you're different? That it's not all about you. How many people know that you're giving and serving and listening and making a difference? Listen, we are, we are truly to be engaged in the lives of people who are not Jesus followers. I'm so glad that we don't have a church gym here, right? Where all the Christians can work out together instead of being out there. Let's build a church gym and a church golf course and like a church Logan's. We've got to have a Logan's. And then we can just all work out and play golf and eat here. And we never have to encounter anybody else in the, in the world who doesn't know Jesus. You say, Michael, that's absurd. How many people in the last seven days would know by the way that you live that you're different? Jesus said that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's bring it home. Everybody in the church has to have at least one ministry. Everybody in the church who's in this body, everybody who said, this is my church home, everybody here's got to have at least one ministry, and no more than two, no more than two. I heard Rick Warren, the guy that wrote The Purpose Driven Life and pastor at Saddleback Church, 25,000 people in worship over the weekend, 38,000 people in small groups during the week. And his son committed suicide. He told us at a pastor's conference, his church is so engaged in using their gifts, he took off for seven months and the church grew. How does that happen? It happens when we recognize that we are gifted and called to serve in the church and to serve as the church. So two possible ministries for your life. Number one, where are you gifted? Where are you gifted? Your primary ministry flows out of how God has empowered you and called you to use your spiritual gift. That's your primary ministry. But guess what? Even though it's a spiritual gift and it's spiritually given, if you don't use it, it's like it atrophies. Paxton was telling me this morning, the muscle in that leg from that knee, he's feeling better. What a great, what a great worship session this morning, right? I, I couldn't, you know, I, I just can't imagine doing it on a great day. But he said the muscle's still just kind of hanging there. I know some of you are disgusted because my hand's flopping out here. <laughs> Look at that. I got your attention. Everybody's looking now. That thing had some surgery, but he couldn't use it like he normally does, and it starts to atrophy. Listen, if you haven't been using your gift or gifts in the ministry of this church, in the church and as the church, that thing may have atrophied for a while. 
The Holy Spirit hasn't, but you're allowing him to work as. You don't need more of him. He just needs more of you to get busy having a ministry in the church and as a church. Where are you gifted? I promise you, under the leadership of our pastor, if you let us, we will help you discover and launch and use and execute your spiritual gift. Why? Same thing as Jesus said, that they may glorify our Father in heaven. Second, and we're finished. The second is, what are you good at? What are you good at? Maybe it's not a spiritual gift, but because of education and experiences, God has shaped something into your life, a skill set, something that you're good at, that in the hands of God's Spirit in this church, He can use to edify the church, to refuel the church so we can serve in the church and serve as the church. What are you good at? You're good at some stuff that we don't even know about. We got some guys in our church that are good at stuff like this. We got some ladies in our church that are good at stuff that we don't know about. Did you see all those hands? Can you imagine if every one of us in this room who said, this is my church home, put me to work with my spiritual gift and with my skills, what would happen? (laughs) We would spend all our time as a staff helping you do what God's called you to do instead of actually doing much. We would be servers of servants and leaders of leaders instead of some folks' mindset of thinking that we're here to do it for you. Where are you gifted and what are you good at? You know, we used to sing an old song. It's really this simple. It's really this simple. We used to sing an old song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. You remember that song? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded. And still, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. We don't use phrases like that anymore, do we? Hold o'er my being. Put me together, Lord, absolutely like you want to. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Then here's the, here's, he's bringing it home. Filled with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only, always living in me. That's our goal. On a scale of one to ten, we're not going to be Jesus. God forbid we should be the devil. We're going to be somewhere in between, but I want to be moving that direction towards Jesus, don't you? And as our pastor turns us loose this year in the coming days, will you be ready to serve with your gift? We need folks from that parking lot to that door to that welcome booth to the check-in for the kids, to the preschool and nursery ministry, to the children's, to the youth ministry, to the men's and women's, and to ministries that we don't even know yet. You're a spiritual contributor or a spiritual uh, consumer. Let's pray together. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter. We are the clay. Mold us. And make us after your will. God, fill us with your spirit till all can only see Christ only always living in us. God, help us to be servants in this place and the cold out ones in the world that they may see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. God, as our pastor receives this time of invitation and commitment, 
Father, we have, there are folks here who said this is their church home. They know it 100%, but they've never joined. May they step out and join. God, if there's some folks here who need some healing in their marriage or healing in their checkbooks, there's some folks here, God, that have been looking for a church that will turn them loose in God's kingdom work. May they step out. Father, if there's somebody here who doesn't get any of this, and maybe they're, by the conviction of your spirit, they're feel, feeling for the first time, they've never really trusted Jesus, Jesus as Savior. Our pastor will help them with that as well. God, if there's any commitment, if there's any focus, if there's anything selfish in our hearts and our minds and our souls, and you're calling us to deeper commitment, may we say yes, Lord, today. God, there may be some folks here who just need to be prayed over. These couples are here to pray over folks and pray for folks and pray with folks that may be burdened. God, this is your time of commitment and invitation. Have that own way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
sorry. I am not used to doing this. I'm used to being wired up, my bad on that. But uh, I did want to invite our deacons down. did want to tell Michael, thank you for a great word this morning. I know you feel the same. Let's give him a round of applause and again, thank you for that. That's a great word, great word this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, again, church family, thank you so much for a really faithful 15. I'll give you more information as the month continues in the state of the church address about how we did 15, manger offering, all that good stuff. But let's start the new year off with a great foot uh, in the area of giving. As we continue in worship, let's pray over our offering time as well. Father, we love you so much, and God, uh, you are a good God, good God. And God, we are rich, we are blessed, and it doesn't matter what our checkbooks say or it doesn't matter, Father. We're, we're rich in Christ, and we're thankful for that. And, God, I, I thank you so much for this church. God, I just love this church. I love its heart and its spirit. Uh, God, I love what you're doing here. And, God, as we move to a time of worship that's set aside called the offering, God, I pray that you would take the gifts, Father, and multiply those.